0: Welcome to the Niche Enrollment Insights Podcast. In this podcast, our goal is to focus less on the promise of best practices. Instead, look for the processes and questions that spark internal reflection and lead to novel solutions tailored to your institution. I'm Will Patch, Senior Enrollment Insights Leader for Higher Edit Niche, and my guest today is Angela Brown. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it is our fourth quarterly look back at what are some of the enrollment and marketing insights that we've learned about and want to talk about more. So we're looking at the fourth quarter of 2023 and we'll take a look. How are you doing Angela?
1: I am well. I can't complain. You know, we're recording in January of 2024 post holiday at a time when lots of people are dealing with various illnesses. So I'm pretty pretty <laughs> happy not to be not to be in that boat. You know, we made it through some travel and family time. Mostly healthy, so, you know, feeling pretty excited and optimistic for a new year. New years are always fun.
0: Yep. Have a good break and a good New Year's.
1: I did. I did. How about you? How was yours?
0: It went way too fast. Parents flew back up from Florida and we got to hang out with them and spent a lot of time with the kids since they're out of school and they're still out of school. So, Oh, wow.
1: Still? yeah.
0: Yeah. They don't go back till the ninth around here. Really? Yep.
1: Oh my goodness. Bless your heart. Well, <laughs> good luck. Yep. <laughs> with
0: that. It, the one big change I'm really excited about is that we're in a brand new studio space. It's a virtual Wait, studio still.
1: Are yes. This yep. is exciting. It's one giant experiment, but we're we're pretty pumped <laughs> about it. <laughs> so
0: there will be some some video components people can watch later and things like that. Well, Angela, let's jump in. I know we've got a lot. We'll try and keep things tight and go from there. What are some of the things you learned about this fourth quarter that you're excited about?
1: So, as I was saying, before we started recording, this was really hard. We typically do these kind of right up against the end of a quarter, and so, between the break and the new year, I had to kind of shake out some cobwebs and remember some of the things that I read in q four. But everything that I am going to talk about today is very marketing focused, so I'll add that disclaimer for everyone, not so much enrollment, but you know as as we Often say the two are very connected. So the first piece is these are all blog posts, so we'll share them in the in the show notes. But the first piece that I'm going to talk about is from one of my favorite humans, Julie Falstick from Stony Creek Strategy. Um, she has an outstanding newsletter that I highly recommend subscribing to if you're in the independent school leadership space. I mean, she covers marketing, she co- covers headship, fundraising, board relations, all of the things. So really, really great follow. But I'm a particular fan of her musings on all things Marcom. And so the title of this article in and of itself makes it worth reading. It's... Admissions, Markham, development, three-legged stool, or triangle of sadness, and uh, so if you know, I mean, if you if if that's not a hook, I don't know what is. So mm, big shout out that. to Julie for for the headline writing skills there. That this was a, a follow-up piece that she did to a previous article. I think from might have been earlier in 2023, maybe 2022, about the marketing communications function in independent schools. And that was a piece, we'll we'll link to that one as well, because it's definitely worth a read if you haven't seen it. But it resonated with a lot of people, including me, since that's the role that I had before I joined Niche. And it starts by talking about some common issues, you know, burnout, mixed messages about the importance of the role. Some people think it's very important. Some people inadvertently send signals (laughs) that it might not be. And of course, we have the old tale of people who consume communications and think that that makes them experts in the field. All of that's tough. One of the things that she's been hearing a lot from folks just in her work, both at Stony Creek and also with her newsletter, is that people working in these roles are really looking for connection. They want their voices to be heard. You know, this is still... The Markham function in independent schools has been around for a while now, and there still isn't necessarily a central community for people who are working in, the, in those roles. And so I think that desire for community is something that's really kind of something that she's hearing loud and clear. I know I've definitely heard it myself. The article digs into what an ideal MarCom function should look like. And I'm going to quote Julie here because this is a really great quote. She said, we believe the ideal in 2023 when this was written, but I think this is true in 2024 as well, is to have a communications office run by a communications professional with a clear job description Mm -hmm. But notice it; it's not the laundry list of hopes and dreams that we typically see in job descriptions, but a clearly defined description, other duties (laughs) as assigned. I still see references in job descriptions to platforms that no longer exist, which says a lot about Mm -hmm. who's probably writing these descriptions, who manages a discrete budget and reports to the head of school, which is something that I agree with wholeheartedly across the board. But she does point out the fact that that's not necessarily possible at every institution from, you know, budgetary concerns, culture. There are a lot of factors that can play into that format, not necessarily working. And so she shares some very concrete ways that admissions development and communications professionals, that their roles can be defined in ways that are intentionally complimentary, because ideally, that's how it should be. But there's so much good stuff in the article. I I couldn't, you know, I won't cover all of it here. But it was something that I really, I it was like, I, I felt it, you know, when I was reading it, I, I was doing a lot of head nodding. And it brought back a lot of memories. It definitely connects with things that I continue to hear from people who are working in these roles. Ideally, you know, I think that the three-legged stool is aspirational. Sometimes it can feel like a triangle of sadness. I hope you're not in one of those institutions where where that's that's the way that it works. I'm a big believer in if you don't have an advancement model, so to speak, where admissions, Marcom, and development all sort of feed up into the same leadership structure, those three offices really should work together. And I think admissions and development really are the two that probably have the greatest opportunities to to connect a bit more intentionally.
0: Mm-hmm. It's really more of a relationship life cycle at that point.
1: Yes. Yes, and absolutely.
0: Is that a model you've seen some places where they all are brought together as one customer experience? They probably won't say customer, but one student, parent, community experience lifecycle department.
1: No, <laughs> So so <laughs> that would be incredibly complicated. But <laughs> it, it would, and that's it's such an interesting point that you make there because I think the advancement model structurally is fairly common where you have those three offices feeding up to, you know, an assistant head of school who might oversee advancement or or something under that. They're, They're all under the same umbrella. But where I think the big opportunity is, is for them to work together in more of that life cycle family experience structure. I think that's that's the piece that's actually missing where, you know, they all report to the same person, but I don't think that schools have mastered the art of making sure that that flywheel is being fed. The communications person can end up being a bridge between those two offices, Mm -hmm. but there isn't necessarily constant communication in that sort of cyclical way where admissions is making sure that there's a handoff that's happening with fundraising that feels very organic and very Mm -hmm. natural. You know, typically there's a handoff from admission to everyone yeah. <laughs> and you know admissions like you take has, it's like I mean, okay
0: same thing in higher ed admissions has to yeah. be the hub of the wheel yeah where everything flows through and and around and yet all these people out on on the tire don't always talk to each other but exactly. admissions has to be that go between
1: yep yep and i i think there's also something to be said too about Making sure that there's continuity of experience between different types mm-hmm. of families, you know, because the families, it's, it's a, it, this is another one of those things that happens all the time. The families that have the greatest capacity to give, get the most mm-hmm. attention, they tend to get the most information, they get the most opportunities, yep. and there's got to be a better way to do that too
0: you hear the phrase the squeaky wheel gets the grease right maybe a better one in in this case would be the nicest wheel gets the road i don't maybe that's why (laughs) it's not a maybe that's not why it's not a saying the 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 tire with the most tread on it is the one that gets the most love it's not necessarily the one that needs the attention who gets the most attention
1: i think that's true and Not to belabor points from our parent survey, but I do think to go back to the idea that your current parents play such a critically important role in also fueling your enrollment flywheel, right? And so a current parent, regardless of their giving capacity, has the same ability to encourage or discourage other people in the community from considering your institution. Right. And so that's something that's really important as well. It's not just the families that have the highest giving capacity who have the ability to go out into the market and talk about the experience that they're having at your institution. Mm -hmm. And so there is some degree of equity in treatment that has to be in place. But if those three departments are not talking to each other and they're not constantly working together to manage those experiences, that's where I think things can get really messy, but that also tends to be the way that it works.
0: Mm -hmm. Thinking about this, this life cycle management, really, there's a committee I was on probably seven years ago now that we were tasked with kind of reimagining a university structure. And so we're looking at, okay, what are the different functions? Do we need, you know, what layers of management do we really need versus what's always there? And so we're looking at similar institutions and And really came up with a model that I was really championing and it was too wild to actually get used. There were essentially (laughs) three VPs. So you had everything filtering down to three buckets. There were the external relations, there was internal relations, and there was operations. Mm. And so you have this very easy flow. Anything that deals with those outside the university all goes through one communication structure, one management structure. Anything internally, and that is recruitment. That is current students, that is alumni, all report through one VP. So you have one communication all the way through. Handoffs are all managed within one structure. Um, so you didn't have to worry about that. Well, okay, are we talking to this group or they talk to that one because they all live together. Mm hmm. hmm. Sounds similar to what we were just talking about.
1: Hopes and dreams. Well, yep. hopes and dreams. Yep. <laughs>
0: What what else uh, What else was on your big Q4?
1: So this is the last two are very, very closely related. The first is about taking a buyer-centric approach to competitive positioning. And this one's from April Dunford, which if folks are not familiar with her, she wrote a book called Obviously Awesome that I read last year. That's a fabulous well, that's book. That's a very on, fitting
0: book for you. Obviously it, Awesome.
1: It, well, uh, that's very kind. <laughs> Very kind. The book is actually about positioning and it's a great primer on that topic. She also wrote a book called Sales Pitch How to Craft a Story and Stand Out and Win. And that is something that's on my Amazon wish list currently as I dig through all of the books that I am hoping to read this year. But this article is from her newsletter. I think it was in November, December. And it talks about the importance of understanding your competitive landscape. And what you're positioning against when you're creating your messaging. And this is written from a business perspective. But as a, you know, if people have been following me for a while, you know that one of my favorite things to do is to find things that are happening in the business world and look for ways to connect them to what's happening in the school world. Mm -hmm. And so there are a lot of parallels here for schools. One of the points that she makes is that a lot of businesses get this competitive positioning wrong because they get caught up in their own definition of what competition means. And so they're focused on specific businesses and brands that they believe to be their peers. And I think schools, to the extent that they're actually following their competitors, some do a better job of, of doing this than others, that tends to be the focus is what what is the school down the street doing? But... If you look at things from a buyer's perspective, just like people do with B2B services, which is the world that we live in now, it's not just about the other educational environments that parents are looking at, but it's also the other options that they have. So the way that she breaks this down is that you can stay where you are. So in this case, you know, a parent can decide to keep their children at the school that they currently attend. They can choose a new solution, which ideally is what you're hoping for. You want them to choose you, or they can do nothing. And what's tricky here is that the third option sounds a lot like the first one. But in April's world, doing nothing actually means going through the process of evaluating new solutions, in this case, other schools, only to decide to abandon the process altogether because you don't find what you're looking for. You don't see enough differentiation. Mm -hmm. And so to earn a new family's enrollment, you have to position yourselves not just against other schools, but against those three options. And she does a really good job of taking a deep dive into what that looks like for each of the different options, um, which is really powerful. But I, I think it's a a different way to think about competition where it's not just other institutions, but it's the actual options that families have. You wanna make sure that they choose a new solution and that that no solution is yours.
0: That's something that's been talked about in higher ed for a while in the sense that students have a lot of options. They can go into the workforce, go into the military, they can start a community college, they can go to a four year, sit on mom and dad's couch. There's a lot of options. (laughs) Going into it with the assumption of, well, they're going to pick someone, so they should pick us.
1: Yeah, that's yeah. not
0: necessarily the case. And do you want to keep they chasing may pick your one. exactly? And yeah. your peers are your peers the schools like you, or are your peers the schools that you... so the students who are enrolling at you are also considering. And I right. feel like we've talked about this before, where I've had colleges argue with me and say, "No, those aren't our peer institutions." But when a student is saying, "I'm considering these two colleges," Even if they're nothing alike, that is your peer institution. That is your competitor. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what the numbers say. If I'm considering, you know, if I'm considering Stanford and Purdue or Stanford and Ball State, or while on paper there's not a lot of similarities there, it doesn't matter. It matters what the students are saying, what the students are considering.
1: I think that's such a great point because when I hear questions from schools, and this tends to happen more in the independent and private school Mm -hmm. space than with districts, although I would say this is something that everyone should be thinking about, when they're thinking about doing competitive analysis, you don't want to make any assumptions about who your peer schools are. You know, I think everybody in a school leadership position has their own thoughts about who they compete with. Sometimes those thoughts are aspirational, right? Yep. And so it's really important to make sure that you're getting feedback from the market, looking at the other schools that your prospective and new families considered when they were going mm-hmm. through the process. You can get that information through surveys. For families that didn't choose you, finding out where they did decide to go And typically when you're going through a branding exercise, you'll get feedback from the broader marketplace, you know, other institutional leaders, other folks in your community who can give you a sense of how other people perceive you. And that's a really important exercise to go through when you're thinking about your competition.
0: If we relate this then to branding and positioning, does it make sense to think of it in terms of do you want to be the hunter gatherers who are chasing the herds, chasing the weather, or are you going to be farmers setting up shop in one place saying, here's who we are, here's what we do. Is that making sense? Say more. Say yeah. more. <laughs> so so when we think of always chasing our, our competitors. You're mm-hmm. going to be always trying to, okay, well they're saying this or they're doing this type of event, we should do that too. They add yeah. this program, we should add that too. They yeah. upgraded this facility, we should do that too. Or do you say, here's our community? Here's who we serve. Here's what they need. We're going to focus on these things. We're not going to chase the shiny new object. We're not going to chase the new program. We're not going to invest in in this thing because all the schools around us are. We're going to invest in this thing that our community says they need. It I'm does that make loud sense. Here, <laughs>
1: no, and I, I now I'm tracking, and I will say it's yep. absolutely the latter. And mm. when you look at the way that April breaks things down. In terms of how you can position yourself against one of these different, one of these other categories, right? Mm -hmm. There's a lot about you being true to who you are, right? And so it's not, because a lot of the time indecision, the thing that causes the do nothing, it's because Mm -hmm. they are afraid of making a bad decision and there's not enough differentiation between their options for them to have a clear winner. So if all you're doing is chasing other institutions and trying to look like other institutions, that actually makes the problem worse. It makes it yeah. more difficult for the person in the buying position to make a choice because you're getting analysis paralysis. And it's a, it's actually the next article that um, that I will reference for Q4 is about singularity in brand position and brand positioning and how important it is to choose the thing that you truly own. So don't make it up, (laughs) you know, it it can't, it shouldn't be aspirational. It should be something that is truly uniquely yours and continuing to communicate that and really drawing that line in the sand. Because if you're just in the game of chasing your competitors and consistently iterating based on what someone else is doing, that other institution is not you. Mm -hmm. They might be making those choices and adding those offerings and, and, you know, making these structural changes because of the work that they have done to make those decisions because those decisions make sense for those institutions. What makes sense for someone else doesn't necessarily make sense for you. Mm -hmm. And so it's really important to just choose that area of focus and stick with it because if you don't, you're going to end up just making it harder for people to make a choice.
0: And we've got a nice segue there.
1: And to my last one, actually, I I tried to be faster with these because (laughs) sometimes I do too many. So this one is from Lindsay Peterson, who is another great follow. She is an expert on brand strategy and someone that I actually, I think I've referenced her before. I discovered her through a LinkedIn course and started following her newsletter. And this is, as I mentioned, about singularity and brand positioning. And so um, this article talks about the importance of having focus in positioning your brand, because when you add too many promises, you're diluting your message, you're diluting your visibility and making it harder for for you to be distinguished from other institutions or entities, right? And so one of the things that, you know, I've heard this narrative a lot with private and independent schools. I'm sure you've probably heard it with higher ed institutions as well, but the notion of trying to be all things to all people. Right. And that comes from one, I think there's still a long way to go for a lot of institutions to really nail what their brands are. You know, a lot of people haven't figured that out. Mm -hmm. um, So that's part of it. And in the absence of having a strong brand, they try to do everything, which is not great. And that's why we get the same, you know, 15 phrases on every website. Right. Um, And that's, that's what this is really trying to get to. So Lindsay talks about the importance of picking a lane um, and focusing on the one thing that you do that bridges the gap between what's actually compelling to prospective families But again, something that your institution can truly own. And I I think that piece deserves a lot of emphasis because when I look at things like taglines and mottos, sayings, you know, all of the things, right, Mm -hmm. there's such a lack of differentiation and they don't really tell you anything. And so it's really important to have a brand promise or a positioning statement that is uniquely yours. And that requires work. That's not, I mean, that's, that's. I think that's a big part of it in the K-12 space is that going through that work requires a lot of effort and financial resources that not everyone has, but it's really important work to do because it informs so many other things, not just in the marketing communications office or in the admissions office or, you know, the people who deal with words, but also the people who are delivering the experience, right? So that there's a trickle down effect to how your faculty engage with families, how you how your, your brand is represented on your grounds and your enrollment events and your curriculum. There's just, there's this sort of butterfly effect with branding and positioning work. Um, Ideally, that should happen when it's done well. And it's really hard to do that effectively if you don't do the work on the front end.
0: Yeah. It's that you see the words academic excellence everywhere. Well, that's an expectation. That's not brand.
1: everywhere, Right. Right.
0: I mean, if you just said mediocre academics, I mean, in some cases that might be honest, but, you know, that's also not a brand either.
1: I see a lot of phrases on websites that are table stakes. Yes. Right, like it's not. It's it's really interesting. I'm trying to think of know. that
0: phrase you've used before. Yeah, like that. it's. Yeah.
1: Ri- I mean, it's ri- it's. Of course, you have academic excellence mm-hmm. for forty or fifty thousand dollars a year, right? Mm-hmm. I would hope so. because <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's right, right. Okay. A lo- a love of learning, all of the, you know, it's yeah. a, it's all of the things, and. Um, you know, I just went through a process where once again, I was judging website homepages for the Inspired School Marketers Brilliance Awards, which I love mm-hmm. doing every year. But it, it's still happening. It's still happening and still seeing some of the same things. And I always give better scores to the home pages that have really strong copy that differentiates the institution beyond great design. Design is wonderful, but I still need you to tell me something about the institution that's going to make me want to click on the other parts of your website, right? Mm-hmm. And and I'm not going to do that if the if you're saying the same thing as everyone else, even if the website looks beautiful.
0: Yeah, it, it has to be something that is compelling and informative. Yes. If it's just impor- informative and there's nothing interesting about it, okay. Who cares if it's just right. really engaging and cool, but you don't, there's no meat to it. I mean, there has to be that blend yep. for sure. Well, like you, I I started out with a long list of things and <laughs> I was like, Oh, okay. This is going to, that's going to be too much. So I decided instead to focus in on one thing, uh, yes. one thing that filled up because we have video. I can show this now a yeah, lot of, pages I know. of my notebook <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I went to AMA higher ed Chicago. a uh, nice short drive for me for, for a change conferences. I usually have to hop off flight and, you know, get right to the hotel from the airport and all that. But this is nice just <laughs> three hour drive to downtown Chicago. And it was a great experience, very energetic conference. I would say it was one of the strongest conferences I've been to in a while, uh, just That's because awesome. of the amount of content that I was jotting down ideas Notes, thought starters. So I wanted to touch on some of them. The first one, not a lot that I want to say beyond this because I think everyone will get immediately. Just this need for higher ed, and I would say K 12 can get in on this too, this need to be on the offensive about defending the value of education rather yeah. than sitting back and either ignoring the hits or just responding to things that they come, instead being more proactive. And the messaging and really yeah. going out and talking about this is why higher education matters. Here are the outcomes. Here are the things that it does for society rather than saying back i mean you're you're seeing angry mobs taking out college presidents now, essentially um,
1: it's crazy, crazy and, and
0: boards being replaced and completely yeah. changing the school can't just sit back and let that happen or the value of IRED will actually be degraded. So just yeah. going forward, talking more about that value. There were a few themes that came up across sessions and there were really three themes. And then one, one speaker I want to dive into because he was incredible. That was the nice thing. All, all the keynotes, there were multiple keynotes and all of them, you just leave saying that was incredible. The first big theme here, talking about brands future. What's Mm -hmm. the future of branding really being core in relationships rather than identities. Talking about communication, marketing, communications, really using social media to support and solve problems rather than constantly being the megaphone saying, we're great. We did this. Here's a press release (laughs) really seeking out using social listening to say, here are the key problems people are facing. Let's solve them. Let's address them. You know, that it's that, two-way. It's that being a person rather than a nameplate blasting out information. Focusing also as a brand, removing friction and focusing on customer experience, student experience, parent experience. That's a major one. How can we find these friction points, these pain points and solve them for people Mm -hmm. as a brand? We'll be much better at building those relationships rather than just saying, we are this institution. You should love us because of that. If you're, if you're removing barriers, if you're being supportive, if you're providing a great consistent experience and that experience needs to be consistent from recruitment through graduation beyond rather than making promises and being really one-on-one in recruitment and then not being like that at all while they're a student, I know, I know it's unheard of. (laughs) Uh, And and then as soon as they're alumni, all of a sudden it's, Hey buddy, how are you doing again? Uh That's not consistent. I know that doesn't happen anywhere now, but no. uh, <laughs> lane students, your audience, parents, whomever determine what's broken, and how to prioritize it. That mm. was a really interesting one that came up in a couple different sessions. Rather than saying we, as people who see this and work in it every day, this process, this part of the website, this app, whatever is broken. We should really focus our resources there. It doesn't matter what We think because Mm -hmm. we're working on it every day. We have different needs. Yeah. Laying the students, laying the parents say, here's the things that are pain points for us. And there may be real mismatches there. Because the things that you think, oh, yeah, this works great. They instead might say, no, 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 this is a huge pain. Or this thing is really broken. They say, no, I've never thought of that before. That's not a problem at all.
1: I... Um, Really love that because I, one of the things I talk about all the time, especially as it relates to students in K 12, is that everyone making decisions, it's all a bunch of adults, middle aged people sitting in a conference room deciding what the students want and what the students need. And that is a really big missed opportunity. You should not only gather feedback from parents, for one, and you shouldn't only gather feedback once a year. You know, like everybody does, well, not everybody, but some people. A good percentage <laughs> of people do an annual parent survey, but yeah. it's also important to gather feedback from newly enrolled families. It's important to get feedback from your students and not just about what's happening in the classroom, but the tools that you're using and the spaces. You know, so many of these decisions are made about like, oh, we're going to get a new SIS system or, you know, we're going to add this new course and it's based on nothing other than conversations that have happened by a bunch of people who are not being directly impacted by yeah. those choices so it's 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 critical to make the time to gather that feedback and not just make all of those decisions in a vacuum
0: yeah and i loved the example that they gave of you can you can basically just set up a table in the cafeteria with some cookies and have them test a web page, a process. I would yeah. even carry it over to here's two postcards. Here's two photos. Here's two bulleted lists of, of content we want to put out there. Which one catches your eye? Which one is mm-hmm. someone who lives this every day fits us better? It doesn't yeah. have to be a hu- huge thing. Like get one or two minute feedback from students as they walk by. Hand them a cookie. They're happy. There's
1: so much power in giving students food. Seriously. Yes. I... Oh. <laughs> It is yep. really – if you give them a snack or you want to do a focus group and bring mm-hmm. in some tacos, there's a lot of power in that, yep. a lot of power in that.
0: We would always say students will do anything for a free T-shirt, but, you know, you can get cookies even cheaper.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> you can bake them.
0: You, you probably could, Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Having that consistency, the other one that, that I'll tease for an upcoming webinar – Ooh. That came up actually in two different sessions, really leaning into athletics branding but not leaning on athletics branding for recruitment, saying here's the things that are working with athletics, here's what we're recognized for already because even it's it's small colleges that don't have the big d one you know they're not being shown on e s p n or anything like that. there is a athletics identity mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. some colleges really lean into that, and across the board say we are. This, we are Spartans, we are Crimson, whatever. But <laughs> instead, saying, you know, here's the things we're known for. How do we weave that into and take these people who are committed to athletics and take these things that they know already, convert them over to our overall branding? And so there, there's a fine line there. Uh, Boise State is doing a, a tremendous job. So they'll be joining us for that webinar. But yeah, just a, a really interesting idea of merging social listening with athletic identity. How do we make that all work for recruitment, for awareness outside of just, you have a good basketball team, you have a good football team, things like
1: that. Right, right. Yeah.
0: The speaker I wanted to talk about was really tied into that, Marcus Collins. He's got a great book out. Just really engaging, really interesting, really talking about branding and community and engagement. One of the things he said that, that I really like, brands don't stand for something. They stand in for something. Hmm. We see this all the time. The yeah. people who, well, I drive a Tesla because I drive a Subaru because uh, I mm-hmm. drive a Ford F-150 because it's standing in for a value, a belief, something about you. It's a different concept. It's subtle, Yeah, but it's different there. talked about the life cycle of what a brand was, where a brand mark started as a legal mark uh, so that people could say, oh, this is a product mm-hmm. made by this artisan moving all the way. Now it's identity. He said, tribe, I prefer sort of community, but yeah, it, uh, <laughs> it, it's, it's really morphed so that you yeah. say, I mean, and you see this online all the time on Reddit and elsewhere where you have entire communities. Like I use Rectech smokers. There's a community around Rectech. There's a Traeger community. There's a gorilla community. There's within that microcosm of the world. People are really, really loyal to something. You see that with Apple all the time, right? Mm -hmm. There are Apple people where they think is the greatest product ever made. And if you're like me and you use Android, they they don't like you in their chats and things like that. There's a reason Apple does (laughs) that that little mark in the chats and makes it harder for people. It it is all about that community. Something I think really ties into they, they talked about here what we think of in recruitment and advancement and anything else, just because you have a lot of information about someone that doesn't mean that there is a sense of intimacy just because you know them doesn't mean that you have a relationship you still have to make that effort big yeah Yeah. still have to make the effort build the community build the relationship you can't just sidle up next to them and and start talking about all the things they know just Mm because you have this information you have these data points information is not intimacy it's really interesting, I think, in a lot of ways. Are you familiar with parasocial relationships? No, so and this is me highly summarizing, but it's a this idea that well, I know a lot about this person, so I feel like we're close. It happens uh, with podcasts a lot, uh, where I yeah. listen to these podcasts, and there was a great episode several years ago now of a podcast I listened to where. They're just doing listener feedback and all that. And one of the things the guy got really personal about was how weird and stressful it is for him to go places now because people just come up to him and start talking and and throw around these inside jokes that they have and oh, their group wow. on the podcast. But it's like, hi, I don't have any clue who who you are. Right. I don't know
1: you.
0: Can you introduce yourself first rather than just yeah. jump in? Try and use these inside jokes that I have with my friends.
1: Oh, no. Because,
0: I mean, but it it happens when you're listening to someone all the time in the car, on a run, in the shower. I mean, someone is in your ears. There's that sense of, oh, okay, we've really gotten to know each other. Well, it's a one way thing.
1: I think that that's something that happens probably more than it ever has in the past with people. Anyone who has a platform that makes them very visible there are so few barriers now, you know, like if you think back 20 years, right. And if you were, I, I always, I use Taylor Swift as, yeah. as an example a lot, cause it's very timely and she's everywhere still, even though her tour is over. Um, sorry, Mia. <laughs> <laughs> Apology to our, our poor colleague, Mia who loves Taylor Swift to the ends of the earth. But I wonder what the fanaticism around her might look like 20 years ago versus now. Yeah. Because if you think about it now, you have Instagram, you have all of these other channels where you can feel like you're interacting with yeah. people that you're never going to meet. And I think it creates that a similar false sense of intimacy, where it's like if you, you know, if you think about celebrities that are making the choice to put shapes and emojis over their children's faces on social media photos because they're trying to maintain some of that. There is something about giving people that, strangers, that window Mm -hmm. into your personal life beyond just seeing you in a film or on a stage or listening to them on an album. It's very different now where a lot of those walls are very blurred. And so that's really interesting. I didn't realize there was an actual term for that.
0: And so it's funny you mentioned uh, Taylor Swift because Marcus Collins worked with Beyonce on yeah. doing social. He was he was really oh. instrumental in building that up. And wow. it, one of the lessons he learned that I think is key here is that community cannot be built. It has to be facilitated because they mm. tried creating their own Beyonce community and no one joined it. And they start looking around. It's like, oh, well, there's already this group where they call themselves the beehive. yeah. So why are we trying to create a separate thing? Let's instead support right. them, facilitate that, give them insider yeah. things, things like that, rather than try to create our own. And you see this with institutions. Hey, use this hashtag. Well, okay, if there's already a hashtag people are organically using, yeah. don't yeah. try to create your own thing. Don't. That's it,
1: so good. Yeah. That's great. It's like great. A,
0: a 30 Rock, I think it was from, with Steve Buscemi of... Uh, you know, we're <laughs> pretending to be a kid in the high school.
1: Yeah. It doesn't work. <laughs> no, you can't. I think that's it. A, so it's a, the headline there is that you can't force community, which is really yes. interesting. You know, it's not something you can orchestrate, but it is something that you can support. Yes. Um, and that just okay. speaks to the importance of one, having your ear to the ground. So, you know, where those communities are, but also, Being okay with letting go of, I think that's, that's the other thing. A lot of businesses, institutions, probably individual high profile people, you want to have that control. You want to manage anything that's associated with your brand, but there are some things that can happen organically independent of your team that can be very positive that you can tap into. So it's just important to keep your ears to the ground and know where those things are already happening.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, on on one last note on parasocial relationships, I love when people come up and and I get to meet people at conferences and things like that. but also yeah. i'm I'm an anxious introvert, so uh, <laughs> no, please introduce yourself first. please say don't <laughs> well, I
1: think that'll surprise people too people who don't know you. I think yeah. there's an assumption that because you're comfortable with talking to a room full of hundreds of people mm-hmm. or being on a podcast and and doing the work that we do, that, you're an extrovert, you know, I, I mm-hmm. tell people I'm an extrovert for a living, you know, um, mm-hmm. cause I actually am an extrovert, <laughs> yeah. but not everyone is, it actually is possible to have a role like this and still be mm-hmm. introverted. And so, and oh, I am absolutely. also anxious. So, um, you know, there's, yep. there's that piece that well, I, I still need a little bit of a, of an intro. If I, yeah. if I see you out in the wild.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I love meeting people. I love having conversations, but boy, you put me in a, packed room where I have to be social and you'll find me off on the edges having a panic attack so
1: (laughs) I just will and and Will and I have talked about this but my I this has become more true than in the past but even though I am an extrovert I prefer having one very deep conversation with someone Mm -hmm. in a large social setting than 15 surface level conversations. So you'll find me in that packed room sitting at a table talking to one person for two hours instead of moving around (laughs) and spending, (laughs) you know, five minutes with 20 different people.
0: Yeah. It's interesting. It's, it's very, it's, it's, I love conferences. I love stuff like that because of the things you learn. And those one-on-one conversations. Yeah. Oh boy, large packed rooms are a lot. (laughs) Okay, the second second big theme from AMA, Mm -hmm. talking about big packed rooms. This, I think, it's really related to recruitment. And that's why I wanted to to touch on this here. When doing user research, user discovery, project discovery, whatever you want to call it, there was a really interesting, I I wish I had jotted down the study they they got this from, when you're talking to people, trying to learn what the problems are, what the pain points are, what works, what doesn't, you only need five to 10 people. And that was really interesting. They said after that, the new issues discovered just plateaus. So whereas if you're trying to do a parent survey, a student survey, and get a critical mass that you can look at and have meaningful data, you need a large data set there. Mm-hmm. But if you're saying what what doesn't work about this webpage, what doesn't work about this marketing piece about this process. You only need 5 to 10 people after that you stop getting new issues. Wow. Um, and so that where when people say it would take a lot to really optimize this process, to optimize this thing, mm-hmm. it really doesn't. If you can talk to 5 to 10 students, you're in great shape. That's that was great. that was really interesting. I think the same thing happens when you're when you're looking at how do we improve this recruitment process? How do we, mm-hmm. you know, you need to Just focus in on a few people. I mean, make sure that they're a diverse group of people. Like if you want to know about a single process, don't talk to all students of the same major who came from the same area. Right, right. But the other piece there, asking open-ended questions to get that context and then pausing to leave time for them to answer and reflect. Hmm. I think the Mm -hmm. same thing happens when you're building relationships and recruiting. When you're talking to a student, don't ask yes or no questions ask open-end questions you build the context that way you can have jumping off points and then pausing to let them answer and that's where it's interesting when we talk about extroverts and introverts a lot of people in recruitment are extroverts they want to talk to this person they want to jump in they want to keep talking they want (laughs) but if you instead leave that pause you leave space for them to answer you're Mm -hmm. going to get a deeper relationship you're going to get deeper answers instead of just the surface level
1: yeah. That's cool.
0: Yeah. It was it was it's an a interesting good takeaway. Yeah. It, it's one where yes, it was about user discovery, but I keep finding little touch points to everything else. Mm-hmm. Last one, a big theme that went across multiple sessions is this need for creating sustainable change.
1: Mm.
0: One of the sessions, I believe it was Carrie Phillips and Alison Tercio, they really emphasized you need to look at the things you do. In context of what is core to your identity, core to who you are versus what's habit. And I think that crosses a lot of lines in terms of yeah. what's our our marketing breakdown, what's our messaging, what are our events that we run, what are our tactics, what high schools do we visit, right? what's core to what we're doing versus, well, we've always done that, so we have to do it. It's tradition. Traditions aren't always great things.
1: That applies to so many different things. Yep. That's
0: (laughs) That's why I'm going to toss that out and leave it there for everybody. (laughs) Uh, And they really really dove deep into four strategies to creating change. First one being building trust and credibility. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to showcase yourself as I'm an expert. I'm not just coming in to make change for the sake of change. And you have to do it in a way that builds trust among people who may have been doing these things that you're tossing out the door for the past 30 years. Right, Really working to collaborate across the institution, across communities. So the prospective students, current students, athletes, musicians, alumni, parents, being able to collaborate across these groups, bringing them all together and getting them all on board. Really emphasizing data and insights. That's a big one I liked. (laughs) Not just doing something because, well, I think we should, but doing the groundwork. Being yep. able to back up and say, here's why we're doing this and then doing it sustainably. Not just doing this thing and not having support in place to make sure it's not just successful this month, this year. Is this a process that's going to keep working and has the backing that's not just going to peter out in six right. months, a year, five years? and a few different sessions, I, I pulled some things together to talking about when you meet resistance. Because when you're changing mm-hmm. things. It always goes smoothly, but in the off chance that you meet resistance, uh, <laughs> doing it in small shifts. They talked about two degree shifts. Hmm. And then from another session, pulling this in, focusing on how people are dissatisfied with how things are now. So while they may be pushing back, if you can point out, well, here's the things you identified as being pain points. Here's what we're addressing. If you're not happy with it now, shouldn't we change it? Right. You can't just sit back and keep doing it even though you say you don't like it or it's broken yeah. and building these models for change, we need to ensure that they are flexible. So they, it's not just a, what is it? Dart in the torpedo straight ahead. <laughs> we can adjust. They have to be scalable. You know, this isn't just working for a single project or a single aspect. Is this mm-hmm. going to work and grow as we grow, as we change? Uh, it has to be adaptive. We have to be able to have yeah. these check-ins and say, well, things have changed now. A lot changed in 2020 and you saw who was adaptive and who wasn't. They closed on a good one. So I'm going to close on the same, this two, two, one model. When you have a lot of ideas, a lot of things you could be doing using a two, two, one model are two things you can implement right now, are two things that you can implement in six months and what's one big idea you want to invest in.
1: I love that.
0: I am notorious for saying there's so much I want to do. Where do I start? What do I do? This is a helpful framing, I think.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Two things right now, two things that will help us six months. One big idea I want to invest in. That's going to take a while.
1: That's very cool. And I, I, you know, I love a framework and yep. you know, so that's, that's really neat. And I think that's a, that's a really solid takeaway for us to end on for folks. Yeah. Two, two,
0: there one. A, yeah. there There's so much from AMA. <laughs> I, I hope I've distilled it down well. Yeah. Just a a great conference. So much value. If you are on the, on the recruitment side, if you're on the enrollment side, going to a marketing conference and vice versa, yes. if you're on the marketing side, go to a NACAC, a Acro SEM and really hear and see what's going on on the other side. Yeah. Because ultimately you're going to bring back new ideas. You're going to hear different perspectives. Conferences shouldn't be these siloed things. Mm -hmm. Um, You're going to learn things. I always learned a tremendous amount going to case, which emphasizes advancement. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of techniques, things you can learn there. It still touches on marketing communications, but there's a lot you can take back and learn for recruitment as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I always really advocated for the importance of admissions and marketing professionals to attend conferences together especially mm-hmm. in K12 because it's really powerful for you to one get a little bit more of a window into what it's like to walk in the other person's shoes but it also makes the work that you're able to do together so much more effective because mm-hmm. you're kind of working from the same playbook and hearing the same things and So one of the things that I I loved doing in my previous life was to attend conferences with my enrollment leader and you can meet in between sessions and talk about, you know, exchange ideas and brainstorm about what you're going to do when you get off the plane and get back to your office and how you're going to move forward together. So there's a lot of power in that.
0: Well, great closing. Great to chat and decompress. (laughs) Hope everyone out there, uh, has a a great start to the year and stays well.